0: everybody, first thing, I have to locate. Here. There's Dr. Milne, so I'm going to look this way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, good morning to John and, and Patrick who can't be with us. Uh, as you know, uh, Carrie has been John's sort of full-time nurse during this time, so do keep her in prayer. Um, <laughs> we have a beautiful, beautiful Lord's. Note that our celebration of the Lord's Supper will be delayed until next week. I've got good news for you this morning, really good news, information that will cause peace in your mind and joy in your heart. I've titled today's message, Shepherd, Sheep, and Salvation, this is not by accident because Shepherd, Sheep, Salvation sort of corresponds with the three major points that collectively form the foundation stones of our faith. Now, I don't pretend to know each of you well, but I've been a physician for 43 years, and when I look out at a congregation like this, I know just the joys that you've had, but also the pains that you've had, the suffering, the broken relationships, the people now departed, all of those things, and that's why today's message is going to be good news for you. And one of the things I hope, as we go through uh, Scripture this morning, is that you don't see this as a sort of dry, flat, one-dimensional story. This is a parable whose context and meaning is three-dimensional, and, and I hope I'll be able to illustrate that. So. Let's begin by reading from Luke 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And you receive the joy the word of the Lord preached for you this morning. Let's begin. Lord, thank you for this Sabbath day and for the freedom to gather together to worship and to glorify you. May we better understand the beauty and the costliness of your rescue plan that we studied this morning for us. We pray in the name of the great shepherd, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So this morning we're going to find and understand the metaphor of sheep and shepherd through a parable. And relate that to our redemption and our salvation. So we should probably start by asking the question what's a parable? Well, a parable is a word picture that uses an image or a story to illustrate a universal truth or lesson. In essence, it's a sort of mini drama or play. You're all looking behind me, so I gather it is (laughs) my (laughs) case. Jesus used simple images and characters taken from everyday life, that is, earthly things, in order to create stories that communicated truths, that is, heavenly things, that illustrated his life changing message. A parable is also an extended metaphor, not just a delivery system for an idea, but as Dr. Ken Bailey has noted, it is a house in which the listener is invited to take up residence and look out and see the world differently. And I'd like to acknowledge the scholarship of Dr. Ken Bailey, which has informed my own research on this topic in preparation for this message. So the, the reason to use the method of parable in teaching is to draw one into examining the human predicament the worldview that is created by that parable. So a critical limitation when we have read through the parables of Jesus is that we're reading them through our modern Western eyes, and that as a result we miss the cultural nuances and understandings, if we're not careful, that Jesus' original Middle Eastern eyes and listeners would have heard. I know something about caring for sheep. I cared for them as a youth and 4H. age. I did not realize until many years later that the teacher always wondered, why Gregory smelled so different than the other <laughs> students? Well, most of us know nothing about sheep, how to care for them, how to shepherd them, how they get lost, and how to find them. Sheep are not very bright, shall we say, We couldn't apply these lessons to the human predicament unless we understand sheep. And this makes it critical for us to understand how the people of Jesus' day would have heard and understood these parables such that we too can grasp the meaning being communicated in the parable. So next let's consider the structure of parables, and then we're going to dig down. Parables have a double meaning. And it's important to catch that. The first is the obvious one, the literal meaning apparent to anyone. The sheep is lost. But there's a second, deeper meaning beneath the surface. That is what's important about this parable. It isn't a sheep that's lost. It's a sinner that's lost. Parables always include an element of surprise or an unexpected twist. The story moves from the very familiar, for example, a shepherd who finds that one of my sheep is lost, to a sudden turn of events that are inconceivable. The shepherd leaves the rest of the flock to go after the one that is lost, and that challenges the listener to deeper reflection. So for for that kind of reason, every word and concept is critical to the interpretation of the parable as well as what was left out, what is left unsaid. Let's start unpacking the richness of this parable. So Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the sinners (laughs) they were that too And the scribes, grumbled saying, this man receives dinners and eats with them. Now, the Greek word here actually means he welcomes them into fellowship. Another shock. This is a startling idea to the Pharisees and to the scribes. Shepherds were unclean. They were were physically filthy, but from their soul to the Pharisees, they were considered unredeemable. To Jesus' listeners, they were asking themselves with surprise from the very beginning of this parable who on earth would ever eat or have fellowship with a shepherd? It's unthinkable. Luke fifteen three. So he told them this parable. Now, note something here. The word parable is singular. He didn't say he told them these parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and what comes next? The prodigal son. These were meant as one coherent storyline. They were never meant to be an individual parable disconnected from one another. These are all symbolic. The good shepherd, the good woman, the good father of Jesus. And in they are actually a single unit, even though our Bibles divide them up as if they're unconnected stories with no relationship. Next, we read this, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured. Well, murmured is the same word used in the Old Testament for the people uh, murmuring against Moses and Aaron, and you know how that this word, by the way, murmuring, only appears twice in the New Testament, here and in Luke nineteen seven. 7. The critical key here to unlocking the meaning of this parable is rooted in the understanding that Jesus used a, a sophisticated, and to the listeners of the time, a very well understood literary device called Hebrew parallelism or chiasm, to make his point, so we're going to spend a moment to, to look at this. You, you can tell I received my theological education at Westminster by doing this. So, so first, notice that there are three themes here: U one and ninety nine. Keep that in mind. U one and ninety nine. The structure of the parable is notable for a center. This is a device we don't use very much in our current. Society, and this 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 parable as laid out it has seven phrases with four ideas that are repeated in reverse order: lost, find, rejoice, and restore. This is the chiasm. It's a dramatic emphasis that all of Jesus's listeners would have understood. Second, another critical observation is the theme of restore. Is the center and therefore the climax of this story. The parable only makes sense with this understanding. We're going to come back to this word restore later. So let's look at this now. I think it'll come up here. What man of you, there's the you, having a hundred sheep and having lost one of them, you, one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, you, one, Ninety nine. And go after the one lost. You one ninety nine lost. Until he finds it. And having found it, find, he places it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. Rejoice. And coming home, restore. Now we have lost, find, rejoice, and restore. He calls to his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. Now we're going to see it in reverse order. Rejoice because I have found my seed fine, which was lost lost even so I say to now what, notice what we're going to do again, what we did at the beginning of the parable, I say to you that thus there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, there's one again who repents and over the ninety-nine righteous persons ninety-nine, who need no repentance and then third, like most husbands, the speaker never blames himself for losing something. <laughs> my wife made me put that in. <laughs> so, one first, six feet. I have found my sheep, which was lost. He doesn't take responsibility. I have found my sheep, which was lost. The sheep lost itself. Okay? I'm supposed to be guarding it, but it got lost. Jesus here is making a sharp point. It's a sharp point to his listeners. Remember who the listeners were. The Pharisees and the scribes, okay? The normal way would have been to say, he, the shepherd, has lost one of them. That is, the shepherd, in this case, the Pharisees and the scribes, should have taken responsibility. Taught, was not to just come out and say, you lost them. You're responsible. But he's teaching. He's making the point. Jesus is saying, in effect, you religious leaders lost your sheep. I went after it and brought it home. Now you complain and murmur. I'm making up for your mistakes. And note that when the shepherd goes after the lost one, what happens? He offers other 99 to those left behind because of the high price he himself is
1: willing to pay. But then sink into your hearts, this is the good news this morning. There is no price that Christ will not pay for each one of us as sheep. That's an incredible thing. Do you
0: know Would have made even more sense through the eyes of the Middle Easterner. The whole village rejoices. The friends come together and celebrate. So he calls together his friends, verse 6, and says, Rejoice with me. (laughs) Do you see the subtle reference here? The Pharisees can't even rejoice over that lost sinner, that lost sheep that was found. So for us to understand what's happening here under the surface in form and meaning, this is a retelling of very well-known to the Pharisees and scribes, most of whom had committed uh, the, the Old Testament to memory. They had memorized these shepherd stories, and the Pharisees caught the meaning of this lesson immediately. It's no wonder they wanted to end this terrible teller's life he was criticizing that in a way that didn't seem so obvious, but the unexpected ending was a twist of the knife. And these include the 23rd Psalm, Jeremiah, which uh, Rachel, my dear sister in Christ, we're going to graduate together, God willing. <laughs> I was doing fun until Dr. Will back <laughs> I would have rather than uh, John Calvin or Martin Luther. I just, I just teasing. You. And then, uh, and then another well-known shepherd story is Ezekiel thirty-four. So we're going to kind of look very rapidly through these shepherd stories. So the first is the well-known twenty-third Psalm. Now this is where I want—I really want to try it. I'll, I'll, I'll call it out. I'll try my inflection of voice to get key words so that you see this, this sheep story is not a standalone thing that really didn't have any other connection or meaning. I want you to see, as I said, the three-dimensional house that I'm inviting you to come sit in and that we're going to look out together and see the world differently because it's a different house than the one we know as modern-day people. So, the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and He restores my soul. We're going to examine these two lines in a minute. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, the shepherd, are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. Who has a staff? A shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, he restores my soul. That's how our our, uh, translations uh, typically render that. But the original Hebrew actually is something different. I don't speak Hebrew, so I'm going to do my best. uh, Where is it? Not she, yeshobet, which really means person, soul, or life. There's There's a semantic range to the meaning of that word. And the verb shu is the Hebrew word for repent or return. So the phrase is probably actually better rendered as he brings me that he causes me to repent. That's what the shepherd is doing in this story. He goes out and finds me. I can't find myself. He brings me back. I can't find the way by myself. And he causes me to repent. Isn't that a beautiful illustration in one line of the core of Reformed Belief? right there. the psalm is built upon the context and culture of the times where everybody knew that this psalm is built on some key understandings. We'll run through them very quickly. This is a story of a good shepherd who finds his lost sheep. The good shepherd finds the sheep, picks it up, carries it home, and therefore saves it from death. I should follow my script. This will make it a little longer, but I just have to tell you the you know, very oldest image as I understand it of any Christian image found was of a shepherd carrying a sheep on his shoulders. Isn't that amazing? When found the sheep is so terrified it cannot walk and is unable to stand. I have seen this as a forager. I have seen a sudden loud sound or something that startles the sheep and the sheep will freeze or will collapse. They are are so terrified. They cannot do anything for themselves. The shepherd has to restore them. The only way the sheep can be restored to the flock is to accept being found. Keep drawing the parallels in your mind with what we know about our own salvation here. And be picked up and carried home. That is restored to safety and survival. Next, we want to note this phrase, which expands upon the theme of restoration. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Well, the psalmist was unrighteous, and the good shepherd, God, went after him, picked him up metaphorically, and carried him back. And nashiyacholbam—that is, restored him to the path of righteousness. The key here, brothers and sisters, is that it is the. That restored yet. The sheep could never do enough work to restore itself. And neither can you and I. And that is something, that is a cultural lie that we all suffer from. I don't know about your education, but I've heard things growing up about rugged individualism. Pull myself up. Manifest destiny. let's look very briefly at Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture declares the Lord. Therefore thus says the Lord the God of Israel concerning the shepherds who care for my people you have scattered my flock and driven them away and you have not attended to them behold I will attend to you for your evil deeds declares the Lord Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Recognize the cultural mandate there? That's Genesis 1.28. Right there. The illusions and echoes, the previous scripture, are so rich here. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more. Nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Who is that, poor child? The great shepherd. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely, execute justice and righteousness in the land. So this, is the, this story repeats the same theme as the 23rd Psalm, but it has several important twists. It's a sharp criticism of the bad shepherds of Israel who have lost their flock. The verb shuv reappears in the phrase I will bring them back, Jeremiah 23.3. The focus is not on a single sheep here as it was in the parable, but on the flock who is the nation of Israel. And finally, an incarnation is promised. Catch this point. An incarnation is foretold or promised, which is the Good Shepherd. So, lastly, now let's look at Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God. Ah! So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep, have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds did not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the sheep Sheep, no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food. And then skipping to verse fifteen, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. Are you seeing me carry from one shepherd story to another? Declares the Lord God, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them the in justice. And this is our good news. This is incredible news. Not if you're a Pharisee or a scribe, but for the rest of our, our sheep, this is nothing short of stunning. The prophet is retelling the story, the shepherd's story, in a completely different way. This is a blistering attack on the shepherds of Israel. Instead of protecting and restoring the sheep, they literally are devouring the flock, is Jesus' claim against them. The flock needs rescuing from the shepherds themselves, the very person who is to be protecting them. And so a radical solution and, and rescue is needed. And it's given Ezekiel 34, 11, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and will seek them out. And understand Luke 15, the shepherd finds the lost sheep and lays it on his shoulder, not doing what I would have done as a father, which was rebuking my child for getting lost. I was always scared to death of that idea as a parent of young children. Rather, he was what? Rejoicing. Sheep weigh, on average, about a hundred pounds, and you've seen something of the terrain there. Imagine going through hills and valleys in a desert with a hundred pounds on your on your shoulders for hours on end. This is an arduous, costly task. It personally costs, and so too with our Shepherd Jesus. In fact, it will cost His life in order to restore ours. The point is that when the lost are found, the task of restoration has just begun. Much must still be done. And I want to be sure we catch an important point here, and that's the notion of incarnation. Literally, the act of being made flesh, and for Christians the idea that God himself in the form of human flesh came and dwelt among us, is that important? There can be no redemption without a shepherd. There can be no redemption without incarnation. The journey of redemption for you and me could not have begun until there was a shepherd who was willing to lead the flock and travel into, I'll just speak for myself, the very far away, very depths of the valley. It wasn't even daytime, it was nighttime when he found me and restored me. For this to occur, it has to dawn on us that repentance and restoration is not possible until the shepherd is willing to pay the very costly and high price required to find and put that sheep on his shoulder and carry him home. Simply finding is not enough. It has to be carried home Notice, too, what Jesus has done in this parable. And this is, I'm throwing a lot of key points at you, I I understand. This is critically important. This is a critical pillar in the Reformed faith. The sheep does nothing to assure its acceptance by the shepherd. The sheep simply accepts being found and carried home. With Jesus, repentance equals acceptance of being found and being joyfully carried on the shepherd's shoulders back home to the flock where there will be joy and celebration. So Jesus has now answered the question asked of him by the murmuring Pharisees and scribes. Something like this, and I'm going to paraphrase Dr. Bailey here. I do so, because in my person, God is fulfilling His great promise, hinted at in David's shepherd song, spelled out for you in the very passages you memorized in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Through those prophets, he pledged himself to come in person and round up the lost sheep. He pledged himself to rescue the flock from shepherds who destroy them. This is who, that's the meaning here, I am. And this is why I do what I do. You're the shepherds of Israel. You lost the sheep. You should go after them, but you failed to do so. To compensate for your mistakes, I'm going after them. Come and rejoice with me. Instead, you complain. Can't you speak that I'm making up for your mistakes? David's song was about a lost sheep and a good shepherd. The Jeremiah and Ezekiel shepherd stories are about a lost flock and bad shepherds. Jesus combines all three in this amazing but short little parable. A lost sheep who is part of a lost flock by bad shepherds, but amazingly, and here's where we're going to work our way to the end. It the parable never finishes. It never finishes. It never tells us. What about the ninety-nine? They're out in the wilderness by themselves. Needed it it for each of us to ponder our answer to the question, what happens next? Jesus literally by that parable, by that technique, all of you, me, he's inviting us into the story to make our own decision. The 99 represent the righteous who need no repentance. But as addressed to the Pharisees, this is sarcasm. How can you rejoice over the 99 when no one knows where they are? The mindset of the Pharisees and what Jesus was saying. There's such subtleties here. They represent the scribes and the Pharisees, those 99, who are still out somewhere in the wilderness and who are themselves still lost. No wonder they wanted him dead. So Jesus is answering their murmuring here by holding them responsible for the sheep lost from the community. And he points out that a good shepherd does four things. One, he accepts responsibility for the lost sheep. Second, he searches without counting the cost. Third, he rejoices in the, from human point of view, burden of restoration. And fourth, rejoices with the community at the success of the restoration. So like all parables, central points of instruction That we are to take away and apply to our lives are being taught. There's eight such lessons here that, that I can discern from this parable. Probably more. Number one, each one of us is like that lost sheep. Number two, we can't find our way back. Number three, we are helpless without the great shepherd. Number four, absent rescue, we will die in the wilderness. There's nothing we can do to be found or saved on our own. Number five, we need a good shepherd who comes to rescue us. And what is that picture of? One word. Grace. Grace. To Number six, we must accept being found. That is, returned and saved. Number seven, our being found and restored is very, very costly to the shepherd. Number eight, once found, the process of restoration starts. The, the greater sort of metanarrative lessons of this parable culminate in a few takeaways. What's been called the theological cluster of, of uh, a passage or a story. The first is failed readership. This parable is a criticism of religious leaders who lose their sheep and do nothing but complain about those who go after them. Number two, freely offer grace. The sheep does not earn the right to rescue. It's helpless. Its rescue is a gift freely given by the shepherd. It's a picture, as I said, of profound grace. Psalm 28, 9 says, "Oh, save your people, be their shepherd and that forever. Number three, incarnation and atonement. The, sh- the shepherd goes out to the sheep. That's incarnation. Pays a high price to find and restore it to its home. That's atonement. And the shepherd initiates all that. That's Luke nineteen ten. Jesus came to speak and save the lost. Number four, sin. to the 99 who are last seen still in the wilderness. They are not yet safely in the village, but are in need of guidance in order to arrive home. Isaiah 53 6 says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Number five, joy. With his friends, the shepherd rejoices at the success of his saving act. Number six, repentance. Repentance, as we said, is acceptance of being found. Repentance becomes a combination of the shepherd's act of rescue and the sheep's acceptance of that act. The 99 think they don't need rescue or repentance. Like, by the way, who in the third the lost sinner to God. The joy in the home of the shepherd is connected in the parable to the joy in heaven. This shepherd must personally make the costly demonstration of love and holiness in order to restore the helpless sheep. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, You were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. I mean, I, just, I hope I'm just giving you shovel hole after shovelful of peace and joy here this morning. I'm feeling it. So you see, brothers and sisters, you and I are like sheep lost in the wilderness. We can't save or rescue ourselves. We have to accept being found. We need a good shepherd. And through our acceptance of being found by the good shepherd, our salvation is accomplished. <laughs> is the good news that I started out telling you that I would try to unpack this morning. The good news is Jesus does this for us. You don't have to study any shepherd lessons. You don't have to learn how to be a good sheep in order to be redeemed. That will come, right? We call that sanctification. You can't do it alone, and you couldn't ask for better news than this. I just want to point out that Meditation on the bottom of your bulletin that I have asked to be placed there. Thank you, Jenny. Jenny gets all these emails from me and she's not making them all over Thank you. The only, this is from Tosa, the only safe place for a sheep is by the side of the shepherd. Because the devil does not fear sheep, he just fears the shepherd. Ascending prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you are the good shepherd who at great cost leaves to come and found each and every one of us. Thank you that you come searching for us and bring us back. Thank you for rescue, restoration, and redemption. Thank you that you bring us back and cause us to repent and you restore us. Lord, I pray that you're at work in every one of our hearts and that you will cause us to be grateful for your mercy and for your restoration and redemption. We pray that you will go after the other washed sheep who belong to you. Convict those who are not yet saved and trot them as we know you will irresistibly to yourself. May many sinners, even today, accept being found by you and carried on your shoulders to where we all belong, safely.